I didn't know whether you noticed, but uh, our first our first four songs for today will be all about all has the word cross in it. It's uh, interesting because uh, well, that doesn't happen often, uh, but it's also helpful because that's what uh, Christianity, that's what we are all about. Like cross, what Jesus has done, is center to all our lives. Uh, let me open us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we truly thank you for the cross because it's at the cross uh, that we can be justified before you. Please guide us as we think about uh, how how the cross uh, helps us to be sure today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's an organization uh, in, that teaches the Bible in third world countries. So what they do is that they have s- small group leaders to lead the groups in these countries. But after many years in this country, the, the organization wanted to find out if the small group leaders, or like the small group Bible study leaders, whether they understood the gospel. So they sent all the Bible study leaders uh, a list of questions. So here are two of the questions. First question, Peter was a genuine Christian. He was growing in his love for Jesus more and more, and he was growing in his faith. One day, he got lazy in his work. But he repented, uh, and later he died. So the question is, did Peter go to heaven? So 100% of the Bible study leaders said, yes, Peter went to heaven. So now this is another question, a few questions down. John was a genuine Christian. Uh, John was growing in his love for Jesus more, was growing in his faith more, but one day he got lazy at work. He fell asleep at work. Unfortunately, he had a heart attack and he died in his sleep. So the question is, Did John go to heaven? 95% of the the small group Bible study leaders said, no. No, because they said John didn't repent from his sins and he died. So that's why John didn't go to heaven. What happens when a Christian dies sins and dies before he gets a chance to repent? What what happens uh, if I don't get a chance to confess all my sins? Can I be sure? Can I be sure that I will will go to heaven? But that's what we'll be thinking about today, and I hope the passage will be and the passage will be helpful for us. But first, let's recap what we've been learning through the book of Romans. So, through the book of Romans, we've learned that we are all under God's judgment. We're all under God's judgment. And for and recently, we we see that. That's the bad news, but there is good news. There's good news. What's the good news? The good news is this, that God sends Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so we can be justified, so we can, we can be declared, right, declared righteous. And how do we receive this? How do we receive this good news? Well, we receive it by faith, by believing in God. Last week, in chapter 4, we saw that Abraham was one guy, was, ju- was one such example who was justified by faith. And the interesting thing about Abraham is, Abraham is found in which book? Book of Genesis. Yes, if, Gen- if Abraham was justified by faith, Genesis, that means faith has always been God's way. 
it has always been God's way to justify. But today we'll be seeing some what is the what are some benefits that we get from being justified by this faith. Look with me at verse one and two. Chapter five, verse one and two. So being justified by faith gives us three things. What are the three things? Well, I'll read it for, for you and see if you can spot it. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. The first benefit is that we have peace. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. What is this peace? This peace, a kind of feeling of peace within me, where, where there's a, a feeling of peace in my heart and everything is going well for me in this life. Well, no. You see, this peace isn't a peace of feeling, a kind of a feeling uh, that everything is okay in my life. So the word peace here actually means a peace between uh, two enemies. Two enemies. In this case, who are the two enemies? Two enemies are God and us. God and us. So before we believed in Jesus, we were enemies with God. We didn't want to have anything to do with God. And, but when we have believed in Jesus, what happened is that we have been justified. We have been justified. We have been declared righteous by faith. And then there's a change in your in your relationship status with God, just like an update in your Facebook status. So we are no more enemies, but we are at peace with God. This is a state of peace with God. Uh, there's no more war between you and God. There's no more hostility. And now quickly on to the second benefit. Second benefit is related to peace. But the second benefit is this. Okay, so it says, through whom we have gained access by, by faith into this, Grace in which we now stand. The second benefit is grace. Grace that we have. So grace talks about, talks about God's favor, God's kindness uh, to us. But to understand what's going on in verse 2, uh, we have to look a bit harder. See, verse 2 is a confusing sentence, right? What does it mean, like, through whom we gain uh, access, uh, in the grace in which we now stand? What does that all mean? The first phrase, we have gained access, or it means that we started, we started by faith into this grace. And, not just that we presently stand in God's grace, we presently stand in God's favor. Okay, well, it sounds a bit abstract, but let me try to explain both peace and grace together, and it'll be, it'll be very clear soon. So peace means there is no more hostility. God is no more your enemy. So, uh, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is you have you have God's grace. You have God's favor. You have God's kindness to you. So peace means like no negative, but grace means there is like a positive effect on your relationship. Okay, let me give you an example. I'll think about it this way. Let's say your enemy uh, was, let's say your boss. Well, and one day your boss. So your boss is angry with you, your boss doesn't have a good relationship with you. One day, your boss makes peace. Well, peace means that your boss is no longer angry, uh, but your boss wouldn't be 
your, will act as your enemy at work. But peace also could mean that your boss, when he sees you, you mean you're walking this way, then he'll, he'll turn around and walk the other way. Yeah, that's, that could, that peace could mean that. But if, let's say, he has peace and he has favor towards you, it means, it means that he's no longer your enemy, but now he shows you, your boss shows you kindness. Your boss is kind to you. Similarly, with, through Jesus, we have peace and we have grace. We have peace and grace. Now, the third benefit. It's also in verse 2. Verse 2 says, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So this is the third benefit. The better benefit is the hope. The hope that we have in the glory of God. But some of you might, might be wondering, what is this uh, glory of God? And what's, this, what, what's going on here? To understand what the hope of the glory of God is, uh, we have to look carefully at this passage. Okay, so this passage has the word hope in front. So the word hope gives us a clue as to what is going on. What is this, what is this glory of God? So the glory of God is something that we hope for, something that we're looking forward to, is something in the future. And Romans chapter 8 tells us a little bit of this glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So this glory, at the last, at the last part of verse 17, is, is talking about the glory that Christ has that we will share in. The glory that Christ has that we will share in. And not just that, verse 18 also talk, says that this glory, let me read it first. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So this glory will also be revealed in us. We will have that glory. So this means that this glory, the glory in chapter 5, is talking about the future glory that all believers will have. That means if you have been justified, then you will have this glory. And all believers will look for, all believers have this hope of this future glory. Okay, let's think about verse 1 and 2 together. What's the thread that links verse 1 and 2 together? What is, how are these, uh, these three benefits related? Well, the thread, or the, more strongly, the glue that binds these three benefits together is in verse 1. It's the justification that has happened in, in the past. So, past events, the justification. Where we are, uh, these past events just, where God justifies us because of Jesus' death on the cross. That's not all. See, the past event of the cross changes our present state. Present state. So now we have peace, we have hope. Oh, peace, we have grace, and we have hope. And that's not all. You see, our future state is also secure. It's our future state. We are looking forward to that glory of God. So because our future is secure, we can boast, we can be confident about this. So all these three benefits all come because of our of the past events, because of our justification. Because of uh, this past event, we can have we have this present state and we can look forward to this future state of the glory of God.
what does this mean for us? This means that as we have just sung earlier, earlier, we should keep praising God for the cross. We should keep praising God for the cross because if there's no cross, then, then we have no present state and we have no future to look forward to. Thank Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for the cross. Now you may be wondering, so what we've seen is that we have been justified. Um, so justified means that we won't suffer God's judgment. We won't suffer God's judgment uh, in future, in the future state. You know, all, the, all the good stuff, all the good stuff will happen in future. All the major good stuff. Okay, well, we do, we do have peace and grace, but the thing we're looking forward to is the hope of the glory of God. And the rest of the passage will talk about what this hope is about. But if you've been paying attention to what the newspapers say, you might wonder, is this true? And there's so much suffering now, isn't there? Uh, our newspapers tell us about uh, about natural disasters. Just this week, uh, there was this just this week was the fifth anniversary of the tsunami in Japan. There's wars, the terrorist attacks, and our brothers and sisters in in other countries have lost homes, families, possessions, even their own lives, just because they just because they profess to be Christian. So if God promises us like this good future, then why don't we have that future now? Why can't, why can't we benefit from it now? Does suffering now mean that we are not destined for that future? Does suffering now mean that we are on the wrong side? Does suffering now mean that this past event didn't happen? That Jesus didn't die on the cross? Verse 3 to 4 gives us, gives us the answer to that. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. So it says, verse 3 says, Not only so, but we, but we also glory in our sufferings. We glory in our sufferings. Isn't that strange? That we can glory in our sufferings? As if our sufferings were good for us? Isn't that strange? How, how are our sufferings good for us? The rest of verse 3 says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. But somehow, suffering will produce this chain reaction that will result in hope. So suffering, in a sense, if I, if I summarize this whole equation, suffering produces hope. But how does suffering produce hope? I mean, this, if you think about it, you know, sometimes suffering actually chips away at our hope. Suffering causes me to lose hope. Is that right? How, how, does, how can suffering increase my hope? How can suffering produce hope? For suffering to produce hope, this has to be a supernatural thing. This has to be God acting in us. Only God can cause suffering to, to result in, in hope, having more hope. Let's, let's look at, let's look at what, what's going on here. So the first step one, suffering. Suffering produces perseverance. Suffering produces perseverance. So how does suffering produce perseverance? Well, God works in us. Uh, to produce perseverance. So how God could, could do that is that he shows us in his word, in, chapter, in verse 3, 
that suffering will lead to will lead to perseverance or lead to hope. So as we the more we suffer, we know that that's the end goal. So the more we suffer, the more we can persevere. Okay, that's that's the first step. Suffering produces perseverance. Step two. Perseverance produces character. How does perseverance produce character? Okay, I think this is a bit hard because the the word character shouldn't be translated character. You see, the I think our English, uh, you know, English Bibles they don't they don't quite have the word character. They don't have the word that that the Greek is going on going on here. So the word character doesn't mean personality. The word character should mean testedness or maybe a tried character or a resilient, proven character. A proven character to be resilient. A character of testedness. So the more you suffer, the more you persevere, your character of testedness, your, your provenness gets increased as God is working you. So the more you suffer, the more you can persevere, and the more you see that you're able, through God's help, you're able to persevere through His suffering. So your, your capacity to, suf- to suffer increases. Let me give you an analogy. It's just like uh, exercise. So some of you would know that at Minky's gate crashing, I was one of the brothers, and I had, at the gate crashing, I had a wake-up call about my fitness, or, yeah, or my lack of fitness, actually. So the sisters, so one of them was uh, Ferlins. They were quite nice. So they, as a punishment, they asked us to do push-ups. And you know how many push-ups they asked us to do? 13 push-ups. Okay, one, three. One, three push-ups. Okay, so this push-ups should, 13 push-ups should be easy, right? But I struggled through each of the 13 push-ups. Yeah, so, and, and, I, and I was thinking of taking my IPPT straight after the, straight after the, the this, this quick question. I was thinking, after the 13 push-ups, okay, I, th- I thought that is crazy. I will never be able to pass my IPPT. So before my IPPT, I had to train. I had to prepare myself. So I had to train, uh, doing push-ups, I had to train doing, doing sit-ups, I had to train my 2.4. Okay, and this exercise, was painful. This exercise was was to me uh, suffering. But if I wanted to see the benefits, I had to persevere. I had to keep going on in this suffering. So as I suffer, I persevered. So suffering, in, se- in some sense, produced perseverance. And that's not all. Okay, so that's, that was the first step. The, the next step is, the more I persevered in my suffering, the fitter I got physically. So I could do, so as I, the more I, the more I trained, the more push-ups I could do. So perseverance, in a sense, produced in me a greater level, uh, a greater fitness level. So that's like step two. So in the end, for my fitness test, I think I did, I did 27 push-ups. So it's a 100% increase. Yeah, so thank God for training, right? Okay, now the, the third step. The third step that, uh, I think doesn't quite fit into my analogy, but this is the third step. That character produces hope. Character produces hope. So how does this character of testedness produce hope? Okay, so this is uh, important, so listen carefully. So when, my, when your character of testedness increases despite suffering, then you see that actually God is doing something. If you see how God has, has, has moved you from, from suffering to perseverance and caused this perseverance to lead to inc- your character, you see that actually... This is not you at work. This is God at work. So let's, let's look at Romans chapter 8 again. So look at verse 17. It says that 
will share in Christ's suffering. So sharing in Christ's suffering, I don't think it means that we suffer and then we give up, give up hope and we walk away from Christ. I think suffer, sharing in Christ's sufferings would mean that you persevere through your sufferings. As you persevere through your sufferings, we see that God also intends for you to share in Jesus' glory. And that glory comes in future. So suffering now is not is a sign that we will be glorified with Christ in future. That God is working in us to be glorified in Christ in future. So that's, that's how, as I suffer, I, I can look forward to that future that God has. Friends, uh, I think this, this verse is helpful because it shows that suffering is a mark of a normal Christian. Suffering is a mark of a normal Christian. How do we suffer? Well, we suffer with the world. We suffer with the world when natural disasters happen. When We suffer with the world when a loved one dies. We suffer. But we also suffer apart from the world. We suffer apart from the world because... The world hates God, and the world hates God's people. The world doesn't want us to tell them about Jesus. The world doesn't want us to be like God. But we also suffer when we struggle against sin. When we say no, we say no to doing that sin or that sin. Or maybe you may, or maybe you're going through a deep pain uh, that you feel that no one else understands today. Friends, this passage doesn't give gives us all the reason that you are going through the suffering that you are you are going through. But this passage, this passage gives you comfort. How? This passage gives you comfort in telling you where God is going with this. See, though suffering is painful, God is using this to produce hope. As you suffer, as you suffer, persevere, persevere. This. God is using this suffering to produce in you, to produce in you more hope, to give you more assurance that you, that you are His work, that He has a plan for you, that He intends for you to be glorified with Christ. He, and He intends to finish His work when you become fully like Jesus. So suffering produces hope. How can we know that our hope to become like Jesus will actually come to pass? And how do we know that this hope, this future hope will happen? Well, we, will know, we will know because of the past event, because of Jesus' death on the cross. Now, next section, Romans gives us two ways how Jesus' death gives, gives us more assurance, gives us, makes us more sure of this hope. That's why verse 5 says, that's why in verse 5, Paul says, uh, and hope does not put, put us to shame. So we are sure, we're sure of this hope. Let's look at the rest of verse 5 to see what's the first way that Jesus' death gives me hope. Verse 5 says, the rest of verse 5 says, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have God's love. We have God's love in our hearts. This means that we know, we know inside us that God loves us. But how can you know God loves you? God loves you. You can know because Jesus died for you. That's what verse 6, six and 7 says. Verse 6, you see, at the right time, 
when we are still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might actually possibly dare to die. While we were still powerless, while we were still weak, while we were still sinful, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. And verse, in verse 7, Paul gives us an, exam, an example to help us see this. Would anyone die to save a righteous person, a good person? Well, verse 7 says, very rarely, or hardly, or might possibly dare to die. Well, maybe, maybe we might die for a righteous person. But, but what if, what if it's a wicked person? What if it's a sinful person? Well, then, no. See, the more wicked, the more sinful, the more wicked, the more sinful the person is, the less likely anyone will be willing to die for that person. And to God, to God, you and I are all wicked. You and I are all sinful. No one will want to die to save us. Especially God. But what did God do? Verse 8 says, But God demonstrates love for us in this. While we were still sinners, what did God do? Christ died for us. God shows His love for us in this. By dying for us, when we deserve the opposite of what he came to give us, when we deserve God's judgment, we deserve God's judgment. God came, God sent Jesus to take our judgment. Now, some, some of us might struggle. Some of us might struggle to see that God loves you. Or maybe you're going through. Maybe yeah, you're going through some uh, misfortunes in your life. Maybe uh, you you thought God promised you something, but God didn't give that to you. What does the passage say? The passage says that God's love for you is not shown uh, by helping you get through tough times, by getting you your next promotion, by helping you through, by helping you pass your exams. This passage tells us that God loves you when He sends, when He sent Jesus to save you, so you can feel rightly loved when you look at the cross. So if God loves you, God loves you, then you can be sure that God will not judge you. God loves you, then God will not judge you. Instead, God fully intends to make you more like Jesus. If you are struggling with to see God's love, ask God to help you. Ask God to help you see how great His love for you is on the cross. To help you ask God to pour out His love through the Holy Spirit in your heart. So the first way the cross gives us assurance is it shows us God's love. The second way that we have assurance through the cross is, is in verse 9 and 10. So let me read it for you. Verse 9. Since we, we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we, were God's, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? In the structure of these two verses uh, is something like this. If God has achieved the harder thing, 
then surely God will do the easier thing. If God has done the harder thing, surely God will do the easier thing. So the harder thing in verse 9 is to be justified by Jesus' blood. You see, we used to be unrighteous sinners, guilty sinners, who don't deserve any good to be done for our lives. But what did God do? Well, God sent Jesus to, to justify us, to save us from God's, God's wrath. To save, to, to, sorry, to save us, to declare us righteous, to declare the guilty sinner righteous. So Jesus' death on the cross gives us guilty sinners God's righteousness, causes us to, uh, so it causes God's righteousness to be credited to our account. So this, this is the harder thing. So this harder thing to justify guilty sinners is settled. Then God will surely do the easier thing. That is, to save you from his wrath. A similar thing is going on in verse 10. See, verse 10 says, we used to be God's enemies. We hated God so much that we'll be, we'll be, we'll fire, fire nuclear weapons at him or, or something. We'll fire, well, we'll be shooting guns at him. That's what enemies do. They hate each other. Okay, so, but, so, but God, what did God do? God reconciled. God reconciled us, his enemies, through Jesus' death. So Jesus' death on the cross uh, is enough to satisfy, fully satisfy God's wrath for our sin. Jesus' death on the cross. If you have peace with God, then, then there's no reason for God, there's no reason for us to face God's wrath. There's no reason for, for God to judge us. So how much more will we be saved from God's wrath? Let me give you an example. Or uh, to help you understand uh, what does it mean? What is how much more thing? Uh, what is this how much more thing? Uh, go, saying. So let's say, let's say, let's say your house was on fire. Let's say your house was on fire, and you you realize you, there's no way to run. So the only place you you, so you quickly run to the to the toilet. You shut the door. As you shut the door, uh, you hear a cupboard falling, falling and blocking the the toilet door entrance, and you're trapped in the toilet. And the, the fumes are coming in, and you can feel the door getting hot because of the fume, because of the fire outside. So you you open the small window of the toilet and you shout, "Help! Somebody! Help!" And thankfully, someone hears you, and that someone is Richmond. Uh, Richmond's over there, yeah. Okay. So Richmond hears your cries for help, and he sees you uh, waving your hand outside the outside your toilet window. So he rushes up. To your each, to your HDB block, he he's a strong guy, so he kicks open the door, uh, and then he sees the fire, and he's he, he's able to uh, he finds a, he finds something to push all the fiery things aside. He runs and he pushes that cupboard that's outside your outside your toilet door. He suffers burns on his hands. He opens the door. He wraps a wet towel around you, and and brings you safely out of the burning HDB flat. So as a, as a result of this, uh, both of you are saved. Uh, uh, but Richmond, he suffered burns, he suffered cuts. After a long, after a while, both of you recover from all your injuries, and you ask Richmond, "Hey Richmond, could you come over, come over to my place next week to to teach me how to fold a paper aeroplane?" And Richmond says, "Sure, no problem." But as the as the as the as the day comes comes nearer, as the day draws near, you wonder, 
You wonder if rich men will come. You wonder if you'll come to teach you how to fold a paper aeroplane. Now, so you ask your friend, I'm not sure whether rich man will come. Oh, maybe he'll forget. Maybe he's too busy. Maybe he has more important things to do. And your friend will tell you, Hey, Richmond was willing to risk his life. He was willing to run through the fire to save you. He was willing to suffer cuts and burns. It's, if, it's, if Richmond is willing to do all that for you, how much more will he be willing to go to, go to your house and teach you how to fold a paper aeroplane? If he's willing to do the hard thing for you, surely he'll be willing, he'll be willing to do the easier thing for you. Surely he'll do the easier thing for you. Friends, the cross achieves the harder thing to bring you peace. To bring us peace between God and us, us sinners and God. So you can be confident of the easier thing that God that God will save you from his judgment, that we won't face God's judgment. So that's why verse 11 concludes, through Jesus Christ our Lord, through, we can boast in God through Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have, we have now received reconciliation. Our justification and our reconciliation guarantees, it guarantees that we will be saved from God's wrath so that we can be more sure that we won't face God's judgment. Because God's way, to, God's way uh, to save me from God's wrath will definitely work. So Because that, this way will definitely work. So I can be confident. I can be confident. I can boast about the God who justifies me and the God who reconciles me. So today we have seen what happened in the past and what we have now. So that these things gives us hope for the future, gives us assurance of the future. Yeah, some, let me summarize it in this diagram. Okay, so this is the, what happened in the past. The past, what happened is Jesus' death on the cross. So Jesus' death on the cross shows us God's love. And Jesus' death on the cross brings us justification and reconciliation now. So because this cross gives us God's love, gives us justification and reconciliation, it gives us so much, because the cross gives us so much, God will definitely make sure that our hope is not wishful thinking. God will make sure that we won't face His wrath. So we can boast about our future hope. And the reason why we can boast about that future hope is because of the cross. It's based on something that has already happened. It has already happened in the past. It's not based on a fairy tale. It's based on something that has happened. Friends, this means that if your boast is not in the cross, then you have no future hope. Maybe you're not sure about who this Jesus is. Maybe you're not sure what Jesus has done for you. Or maybe, or maybe, you're, you feel that you're going okay in your life right now. Maybe you feel that you're confident because you're living a godly, you feel that you're living a godly life. So your confidence is based maybe on your, your, the way that you live, the way that you feel, rather than on Jesus' death 
on the cross. Friends, if you are, if your confidence, if your boast is on the, on all these other things, then you are putting your hope, your, you're putting your boast, your confidence in the wrong thing. Your hope will put you to shame. You will be disappointed. But there are also times when Christians go through times of doubt. When Christians go through times of disappointments. Times of discouragement. Maybe you see yourself struggling with sin. And you, you see yourself entangled in sin. You can't seem to get out. And you wonder, has God saved me? Oh, if God has justified me, then, you see, if he's making me more like his son, why do I struggle? Why do I struggle so much with anger? Why do I struggle so much with lust? Why do I struggle so much with greed, with hypocrisy? Why? Was I justified? Did Jesus die for me? Well, I think these, these, these questions might be a symptom of an even deeper problem, a hidden problem. Well, what problem is that? That problem is that you rely on yourself. You rely on yourself for salvation. If you trust in your own works, if you trust in your own ability, then you will keep wondering, have I, looking back at my life, have I done enough? Have I done enough to, to escape God's wrath? Have I done enough to enter heaven? Or maybe you look ahead and you think, will I do enough? Will I do enough from, from the time, from now until the time I die to enter heaven? Friends, you will be disappointed if you trust in your own ability to obey God. You trust in your own ability to obey God even after becoming a Christian. Why? Why is that? Because you will keep sinning until the day you die. Even as a Christian. You will keep sinning until the day you die. But the cross secures our future. The cross guarantees our future. The cross helps us, helps you be sure of your future now. So in times of doubt, don't just keep that doubt in your head. Don't just or mull over it in your head. Look at God's word. Look at Romans chapter 5. This passage is God's gift to you. This passage is God's answer to you. See what God has already done on the cross. See what God has already done on the cross. It assures you it's not about what you can do to save you. And in those times of doubt, ask yourself these two questions. First question. Did Jesus die? Yeah, okay, so the tense is wrong. Did Jesus die and rose from the dead? And rise from the dead? The Bible says, yes. Factually, yes. He did die and rise from the dead. Next question. Was Jesus' death enough to pay for my, all my sins? The past, in the present, in the future? Yes. Jesus' death is enough. 
Friends, Jesus really died and rose from the dead. Jesus and Jesus' death is enough to pay for all your sins. It cannot be that your sins are so great that Jesus can't pay for them. If these two things are true, then you can be assured, you can be sure that Jesus has paid for you. You can be you can be sure of what Jesus has already done for you on the cross. Friends, me putting putting out these two questions uh, is also for us to remind each other about it about them. You see, sometimes I will need you to remind me. Sometimes you will need me to remind me. Let's support each other in doing this. Let's support each other in our times of doubt. Let's support each other until that hope that we're looking for comes to pass. So we boast, we can boast about our future and boast about our hope because these things are sure. But are these things your boast today? Let me pray for us. And not only this, but we, also, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the cross because it shows us, it gives us, it, sh- it gives us assurance of something that you have already done in the past to prove something that you will do in the future. So Father, Please work in our hearts to be more sure. More sure because, not because you are unfaithful, but make us more sure because we doubt, we struggle with doubt. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this passage and and the assurance it gives us. And please continue working in us as we think about it, as we think about what we've heard. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.